0: Welcome to another edition of Practitioner Radio, Pink Elephant's podcast for the IT management community. to practitioner radio pink elephants podcast for the IT management community celebrating 50 Five zero episodes. Congratulations, Troy. I'm feeling it. I'm feeling fifty. Are you feeling fifty? Not yet. Actually, I got a couple more years. I I, th- <laughs> I think in the US, I think it's 50 when you get your AARP card, but I'm not sure it's 50 or 55. It doesn't matter. We're 50. 50 is the new 40. I don't know. You know, it's 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 been a it's been a quite a journey getting here, and I can just see this is just the beginning. It's just the beginning. And we go back almost three years now. So, Troy, we are really kind of excited. I'm really excited. I shouldn't say we. No, no. In
1: this case, I am excited,
0: Chris. Okay. So I love when we have pinkers on and my second favorite topic when we, or or categorization is when we have thought leaders who are gender female. And I I say gender female because I just hate when people go, we need more women in tech. No, we need just more women. We just women are just kinder folks. We are joined today with Robin. How are you doing, Robin?
2: Great, great. Thanks for inviting me. I'm really happy to be here. Happy to be the token female on the call (laughs) as well. You're much more (laughs) than that to me, Robin. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Key member of the team is what I would say. <laughs> but it's just, there it seems to be so much in the press lately about more females on tech. I'm like, no, there are a lot of females on tech. Why don't we just recognize the ones we have? Why don't we just do that? All right. Robin, we're talking about assessments.
2: And I love assessments. So I'm glad to be here and be talking about assessments with you.
0: I like assessments too. In fact, Robin coaches our team on how to do assessments. She's our practice lead. Practice lead on assessments. So- you know, some people, I'm just going to get this out of the way early, early and often. Some people would say, assessments, that's just an expense that's just, you know, we'd rather just get down to the work. And some organizations go, well, you know, we kind of build the assessment into the statement of work for the actual work. But I think a, an actual assessment, you know, one that is separate and completely devoid from, is so <laughs> critically important if, for businesses, for people, for everything. Are we starting on the same page or do you think that you can kind of do it all together? Well,
2: no, I think you could do it either way. So, assess ooh, ooh. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, assessments, you could one of the big things with assessments is including it in your program or your project or if you are Troy your project, <laughs> you are helping it along by adding a communication element. So the assessment does double duty there. You get to understand where you are today. It's really important to understand where you are today to know what work you're going to add when you get your project in place. Mm. Although that's an important part of it. The dual part of it is your project has a a communication component of it, a change component of it in that you're trying to get buy-in from people to make changes in what they do. The assessment's a good way to establish that buy-in. You're inviting people in, you're asking for their feedback, and hopefully you're reporting out the results, and you're using it to determine what that project element is going to be.
1: Nice. That change element is actually not well understood. There's a saying that I like to talk about, which is people don't care what you know until you they know you care, mm-hmm. and you've actually listened to them and heard them. So getting their voice into whatever the 2B future state world you're envisioning is critical for actually them having, you know, any kind of buy-in.
2: Sure, you want people to change, they need to know that that they're part of that change and not that it's just being put down down their their, down their throats.
0: Yeah, I I love the idea of involving people, you know, cuz I think in my mind I automatically would look at this pathological version of an assessment where I'm like a little scientist walking around observing people almost detached from the environment right or this kind of overly fetishized version of I'm you know meeting with people and and you know you know counseling them and you know actually you know doing all sorts of behavioral analysis very high touch and that's just my mind because my mind thinks in these very crazy extremes but in reality they're really just like four Reasons most people do process assessments, and we we talked a little bit about validation. What are some of the other ones?
1: Well, I think before we go to there, it's really a convincing argument, right? You made the point a minute ago. I want to kind of draw that back to that. Uh, Robin and I often hear this. We're talking to an organization who wants to do something different. They're looking to you know engage in some kind of transformation, which simply means let's take people doing this today, get them to believe differently and act differently tomorrow, mm. maybe use a new tool in the, you know in in the process. And then we'll say, well, you should start with what's, you know, what's the current state? That was Robin's point. And they'll say, literally, and I've heard this dozens of times, why should I bother taking the time to find out where I am when I know I've got practically nothing in place? And you're just going to tell me most organizations follow the same kind of approach or roadmap anyway. So why spend the time, money or effort from the perspective of planning? Right here, here's where I am now. What's the focus of where I should be next based on mm. um, some understanding of current state?
2: One of the things, Troy, in terms of planning and talking about planning is in something that you said, is people do come back and say, Well, I don't have anything in place. When we start to do assessments and talking with people, it is really exciting to find out that people have more in place than they know. So, we're talking about processes that people do, they do incident management. They do change management today. They might not do it well, but they're doing pieces of it in their organization. So we should help people understand that what they find out is actually something that they can begin with and then insert into their plan going forward.
1: Yeah, they're doing it multiple times. If we can help, she actually help them realize they have all this varied approaches to doing one thing, uh, the very nature of let's come up with one way to do it is actually a an ROI dis, you know, discussion saying let's standardize and actually remove variable, variability and redundancy. But, you know, even if that's not a, buy, a buy-in, right, or even if you can't sell that component, planning is only one key element of why you do assessments. That's the first, but I wouldn't say it's the most important reason you do assessments. There
0: are other reasons as well. Yeah, and I think that's the part where sometimes I, I struggled in the past and why I was so excited about this show because – to me, it always just like, well, let's do an assessment. You know, it's or it was like I said earlier, to me, everyone I always dealt with, and maybe it's just I was dealing at the wrong level. It was a luxury that businesses felt, you know, to get assessments. And I always thought it's so much more than that. And we have like four reasons. So we're gonna cover off the four reasons why you might want to consider a process assessment. And let's kind of do the four, just list them out and then we'll kind of dive into them. How's that? Does that sound good? Sure.
2: That sounds great. The other thing to know as we start to talk about these four reasons is. We already talked about planning and planning. We're talking about when we're going to start a project. As we start to go through the list of these, we're going to see that doing an assessment isn't once and done. We'll do multiple assessments Mm. and we'll go through the four reasons to find out that sometimes we're assessing at after a phase of a project to make sure that we got what we wanted and know how to get to the next phase. So Troy, I'll let you go through the list and then we'll talk about the befores, durings and afters of a program.
1: So planning we've already touched on. That's, let's say we're here and where do we want to be tomorrow? And what are the interim quick wins or you know interim milestones we want to achieve? Mm-hmm. But it's still a difficult one to sell to an organization that simply says, let's just use a generic roadmap. You tell me what you think is best. The next three reasons I find are actually more compelling reasons to do assessment. The first one is about subjectivity and relativity. So, Robin, would you agree that when we work with organizations, there's a great varied opinion about just how bad it is or exactly what's happening versus what's not? Huh.
2: Yes, actually, it's interesting because there's a varied opinion about how bad it is or how good it is. And so you get both dynamics. And when you're doing an assessment, what you're helping to find out is the truth between those two stories. So
1: what is truth? Mm. You know, How do you define it? Mm. Even that context is part of this because when you have the subjectivity and relativity, truth is in the behind, in the eye of every beholder. So the, another component to getting beyond subjectivity and relativity of opinion is using an external reference model as the basis for the assessment. And there's, there's two elements here. One is, am I assessing based on whatever I believe is internally a good practice or using some external reference model like a frame of reference like ITIL or COBIT, for example, or CMMI or whatever framework you choose. Uh, And the other is, do I use an internal versus external consultant? And when is that a good thing? How do I get beyond relativity? What are your thoughts on that, Robin?
2: Exactly what you're saying, Troy. And it is amazing when you go to organizations that as part of that, part of what you're saying, it is, and it's the name of this, people are looking for validation. So this is what I thought. And now I have kind of a stamp by an outside source that is saying what I thought is, and we said this word before, truth.
1: So I have this reference model I have chosen. I have used it now for assess, which is part of governance because I have to evaluate what I'm doing, which will now direct, of course, what I want to do. But the key is I have to get it down on paper in black and white because, Chris, what's what's our favorite saying about truth? <laughs> until, until it's written down, it's a rumor. Exactly. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so you have to do an assessment to get beyond the fact that everyone has an opinion uh, and have an external reference model that takes it out of the political mix and morass of, you know, everyone has a different view of truth and reality.
2: The other thing about it having written down, if we make changes over a six-month period, nine-month period, what have you, we aren't going to remember what it was like today. We think we will, but we have gone beyond today's pain and we've got a different pain, a new thing to solve. And so to have this written down will help us later when we're getting to actually uh, another one of the four reasons is proving where we've achieved what we've come to
1: exactly we can actually go there so the first one is planning the second is validation of the reality the true statement of current state getting it on paper black and white in front of us outside of opinion now there's two things about human nature one unless it's written down it's a rumor okay you've got that one Mm -hmm. the second one is that basically we look through rose-colored glasses when we think of the past it's never quite as bad in our memory, as it really was when we were going through it, we have to have some basis of proof that we've actually come from here to there, because what's going to happen, you get six months down the road, a year down the road, you've implemented whatever improvement, and you're going for that next round of funding, right, because nothing is free, and they'll go, oh, Chris, it really wasn't that bad. Really, what did you do actually, right? So we've got to actually have a stick in the sand before you ever even fix something right at the beginning to show the Delta improvement, the proof of benefit realization, which is one of the three elements, uh, reasons why we do these assessments, because we have to fight against this human nature to kind of
0: remember the past better than it was. In so many ways, I think, you know, when you talk about doing the assessment, you know, we write it down so we know what it was. We we have a hunch and we have bringing it someone independent who can validate that hunch or kind of find that middle ground truth. Um, and then, of course, now you've kind of helped us understand that in the future we can say, well, this was the truth and this is the distance we can see we've grown. So the the investment was what was, was actually valid. Some of these actually then become part of your... Operating models, I would think. You know, I mean, this—it seems like this assessment really becomes almost like the engine to the car because you keep measuring against the assessment and and the new assessment and the new new assessment. So, is there is there like are these concepts of meta assessments, or is this just simple continual service improvement around uh, an assessment?
1: Well, you're tying back into our last show. We talked about governance, right? Can you imagine that <laughs> <laughs> there are levels of governance? We talked about that last week. There's business or enterprise governance, there is IT governance, and now we're down into a process framework or reference model governance. And we were talking last week at the enterprise IT context, right? So, you know, that's where we were. But in essence, the principle of governance, those three real important things to remember is we evaluate our current state. And we've already said we need a reference model. Uh, in the context of what we're talking about now against an ITL or framework assessments. That's one of those frameworks out there that we can easily draw upon. Uh, at an enterprise level, we're talking about an operating model. We're using COBIT. At a top or higher level than that, the business discussion, we're using things like uh, COSO, Committee of Sponsoring Organizations. So there's levels of reference that have higher and higher aggregations based on what you're looking at because Evaluate needs an ass- a reference model. Evaluate helps you to direct, right, which is prioritize based on what's really important versus what's less important. And then monitor how have I achieved my direction and am I still moving in the right direction or do I need to actually change direction? So evaluate, direct, monitor are the base activities of governance. And how do you do that without a reference model or assess for that example?
0: You can't. Uh, and that's the beautiful thing about this. So you just said you can't do governance without assessments. You, you can do any. I guess you can actually do it if you wanted. <laughs> but I mean, uh, how effective would it be? That's the question, I guess. Yeah, yeah. How effective it would be? So we've got planning, validation, deployment, and proof of benefit realization for the use. Those you following along at home. Those are our four reasons, right? Planning. One more. Validation, deploy- deployment. Uh, what was the? I thought we only have four. What was the next one? We got planning, validation yep. of reality or truth. Yep. Proof of benefit
1: yep. realization is three. And the fourth one?
2: The deployment insurance. So making sure that if you're going to inspect, if you're going to assess multiple times, people know that you're assessing. It's not an audit at this point. It's assessing, but still there's more adherence. Ooh,
0: Very important. Very important what you just said. Yes.
2: And, and in fact, we want to talk about that after we get through for our, our reasons, kind of differing audit an audit against capability versus assessing maturity of a process. But still the deployment is people are expecting you're going to assess again. So hopefully you're going to actually be able to have some of those new behaviors instantiated into your organization after you've deployed your processes.
1: So if you're anticipating that someone you care about or the consequences you care at least about is going to come by at some point in the future and expect to find you doing something, then you're probably more apt to be found doing it when they arrive. Would you agree? Yep. So going through ongoing assessments of some level of some uh, rigor that makes sense from a fit for purpose perspective is what we call deployment insurance. You've done all this work. You've gone through the transformation. You've you've gone through the project mode you've now put it into evergreen kind of csi continual improvement you have to be doing assessments on a regular basis because otherwise basically it goes project mode and then dies
0: And that's what that's what i think i've seen so many times is it just gets into that netherland and then people just, just it just becomes a project and people work on it and then it just kind of dies you
1: get what you inspect so this is this is the let's make sure we we get some value out of all the money we spent in the transformation project by ensuring that not only that people are doing it. Compliance is one thing, but we want to make sure that it's fit for purpose. If we have to make adjustments, then that's the basis for the assessment. The CSI is not just um, let's go slap some wrist. It's let's make adjustments to make it fit. Make it right. Make it work.
2: Right, it could be that we deployed the wrong thing, yeah. and we need to go back to the drawing board with maybe some activities of our process. Maybe they weren't detailed enough, or had the right roles called out. And so, the assessments helping us understand what's working and what's not working.
1: So, if you're a program sponsor, or you've got some kind of you know skin in the game, and you're accountable for doing something, uh, assessments are your best friend. You're
0: pooch without them. And you, and you really have to think. I think when you're starting your your process, your process of looking at. Your project your ideas and you're actually thinking about assessments you kind of have to start to build them into all of your all, all of your I mean this is not like an assessment for in a project there has to be an assessment attitude or mentality and is you know almost a cultural change and we we assess before we do any work uh, and when we have some third party or some other group do it or do you see people treating assessments more? Uh, objectively or they more systematically look at objectives. I mean, Robin, you've been doing these for a long time. I mean, I would think you'd be kind of pro-systems embedded assessment thinking.
2: Right. And, and when you look at assessments, when you look at um, project planning or look at even systems development lifecycle, you start at what is the as-is. So that mm. is a point wherever you are. So an assessment is one point of an as-is um, criteria for moving forward. And based on everything that we've said, you, you don't know how far you've gone unless you've recorded where you are at a certain point in time. So I do think of it more as systemic as part of any kind of project. And what we're talking about is maturity assessment versus a, a, a deep down dive into looking at every component of an organization or the way we operate. So it is a point, a point of reference
1: there. Yeah. Like you can think about any quality system you care to mention, whether that's Deming Plan Do Check Act, whether that's Six Sigma, whether that's the ITIL Continual Service Improvement model. They all start with the current state as
0: the basis for improvement. Yes. Yeah, but they don't actually call it out. You know, Plan Do Act, Check. There's no. There's no observe Plan Do Check Act.
1: Well, if you read it, Plan is part of observe. The ITL model says, where are we now?
0: Robin, do people need it broken down simpler? I, I don't know. I think yes.
2: Yes, <laughs> I do
0: think they do. I, I'm just, I, I don't, I'm, I never go, go, you know, I don't think I'm going against Troy, but I don't know. I'm so passionate about assessment. I think we actually need to spell it out. I think before you get out of the bed, you need to go, hmm, are my slippers next to the bed? Are, is someone, is anyone else in the house? You literally have to assess. Some people just get up. And go, I'm going to make coffee. I think it's a mindset.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It is a mindset. Yeah. Because you could just say, well, plan, do check, act. Plan is I start. Writing my project plan. Well, no, your project plan needs to include that assessment. Yes.
0: And, and to Troy's point, you you would start by saying, "Oh, I'm going to write my project plan, and it's about this, and to do that, I need to understand this." Right. And I'm sorry to be absurd, Troy. No,
1: I see your point. No, I, I hear you.
0: But my, my point is, I, I think I know too many people who just go, "Okay, it's like an afterthought. Oh yeah, it, this is the way it is. I made a lot of assumptions. I didn't really assess anything." I think there's a lot of you know. Uh, I, I've been practicing a lot of contemplation the last two years so as part of my health journey. And contemplation allows you just sit and, and you sit and you're aware and you, you, you assess what's happening.
1: Let's tie this back more into what you've been talking about recently in, on your other channels, right? Hmm. The quantified man. How do you go about starting the quantified approach?
0: Well, yeah, I mean, I get a lot of questions, you know, because I think we're going to start to see businesses talk about Quantify. And again, I think it's just what Robin's been doing for, for years, and I think it's what Pink does really well. And that's like, what do you have? And so often, you know, if we just talk about ourselves as individuals... Think about the systems that, we, that, are, that do give us some visibility. I call it perspective as a service. Well, you've got your on email. <laughs> you've got your unanswered phone calls, right? You, you, your systems that if you were to assess your life, you've got some not very nice systems that aren't giving you really good information. They're just make you feel overwhelmed. But if you did a broader assessment, how many documents did I open up today? How many times did it take me less than a few seconds to find a piece of information? Your assessment isn't bad. What you're missing is a broader context of information.
2: Right. And so one of the things that people might be challenged with in assessments is they think that we do an assessment and we produce a number. Exactly. Now oftentimes people use the capability maturity model, which is a scale of zero to five. And so at the end of the day they say, Okay, what's my number? and 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 don't tell me unless it's a five, because we need to be, <laughs> be perfect. The assessment, yes, you need a number. That's part of it is the outcome. But where you're going, Chris, is the assessment is also what are the individual questions that are asked? Yeah. And what is the as is? Where are we today with those individual questions? Because at the end, what you can have is a list of opportunities for improvement that you can do some of, all of, whatever scope you have within your means within your authority, within your project boundaries. So it's not just that number. I kind of wish we could throw out that number sometimes. I know it's important, but it's the details.
1: To your point, where you're going with this is the difference between a capability assessment versus a maturity assessment. Mm. A maturity assessment gets you to some scored number, and that can be a very emotional and political thing. For example, I hate doing maturity assessments in some regions of the world because it's all about face. And for me to lose face in front of my senior management is a huge thing. So there's a huge pressure put on the assessors to to basically make the number right, because I can't be seen to losing face. To be losing face. What if we what if we remove this conversation of a number and simply here are a number of areas of potential improvement based on the reference model. So here are the things we would expect to see for a good process around improving and managing changes. Right, approving and managing changes. This is a list of things about the people we would expect to do change management, the policies we would hope to see in place, the kind of practices or activities we would want to see in a change process, and what would the outcomes or outputs be. And we would do more of a comparative analysis against what we've got and what's there and what's good and what's not and what's missing and you know what's in spades. The reality is we're just doing kind of a, a checklist
0: view of what could be versus what is and i think robin i mean your experience i would think if there's a, a possibility for analysis paralysis it's probably highest at this point
2: yes so there's a balance and that actually could get us into the discussion of how we do assessments too
0: yep i'm a good bridge i'm, I'm like <laughs> the bridge across troubled pr radio waters right.
2: so there i have been a customer of, of assessments that it has been analysis paralysis. And it's been conducted by interviews that has interviewed everybody in the company for hours upon hours and taken a lot of time, resources, and money. So we need to strike a balance. The balance would be what information do people need and what's the quickest means to get it accurate information, but the quickest means to get it so that they can then act on it. So there's different ways to do assessments. I just mentioned one, interviews. You could interview a couple of people. You could interview everybody and his brother in an organization. You could also conduct surveys. There's pros and cons to each of these types of means to do an assessment. The surveys are good. They're fast. Uh, we could conduct a survey by paper. We could send it out electronically. The results we get back, though, are tempered on how somebody's feeling on a given day, you know, having a bad hair day, if you will, and how they're feeling about your survey.
0: And that, and that, and and that's real stuff. I think, you know, sometimes we joke about that, but that's real stuff. You know, and I sometimes wonder, you know, I know multiple sampling is never pleasant for anyone, but there are some days it's best not to ask me any questions.
2: Yep. So surveys are a good tool to get what I like to call raw data because of what we're just talking about. Another way is workshops. A workshop is a kind of an interview, if you will, but it involves multiple people, a, a good number of people. You don't want 20, 30 people. And you get to ask a group of people what their impression is of their, uh, or their perception of what's happening in their organization. One of the good things about a workshop is then people are seeing people that they might not normally talk to because yep. you have somebody from development, you've got somebody from service desk, somebody from operations. And you're getting these different views at one time. Now, of course, downside to that could be one person does all the talking, but if it's managed well, it, it could work. And, and another way is to attend meetings, go to a change advisory board meeting, sit at a, at a uh, desk of a service desk analyst and listen in on their calls. So you have these multiple ways and to strike a balance between a couple could help you in not going through that. Analysis paralysis or taking too much time, resources, and money from an organization, and still getting them good information.
1: In fact, I think you should always use more than one channel. I think
0: to get a balanced input. Yeah, you kind of have to understand the organization and and where you know what those multiple channels are going to be. Again, this is no easy task. What you guys do when you're doing these assessments. So, what are some different types of assessment approaches that we can squeeze in here before we end the show?
2: Well, I think a very important part. When we talk about interviews, workshops, when we talk about even attending meetings is to make sure that the person who is asking the questions of an individual or of a group of people to make sure that they're unbiased. Mm. That actually lends itself well to somebody coming in external to the organization or at least if it's an internal person, somebody coming that isn't directly involved in the process activities or the project that's taking place. Mm-hmm. as an interviewer, there's different kinds of questions that you can ask. And, and you learn this in facilitated workshops. So, Troy, I know you're really good at these questions. you want to talk about them a bit?
1: Well, there's a difference between open questions, leading questions, and closed questions, right? You want to try to avoid leading questions by all means. In fact, one of the worst things you want to do is put an idle zealot in a room and basically say, and you have a change advisory board that meets on a weekly basis to discuss and approve changes, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, we have one of those. Yeah, they meet on Thursdays. I think it's four o'clock, right? So you really have to avoid that, though. It's tempting when, you, when you're when you're trying to teach while you're assessing. You're not trying to do that at all. You got to put that teaching mindset aside. So avoiding leading questions is is key. Sometimes you just want a binary answer, a yes or a no. So you've got to give them a question that can be answered with a yes and a no and and not a kind of give them the ability to wiggle out of something. Uh, sometimes, especially at the early part of a conversation, you want an open question where you say something to the effect, describe for me the methods by which you approve changes and listen and you just listen and you probe a little bit just to get clarification. But again, not to lead. So your
0: questioning techniques are very key for quality of information that you gather. I like that. So guys, there's two areas where I noticed there was some tension. One was uh, assessment versus audit, at least I felt some tension, and then unbiased. Can we kind of get, as we near the top of the show, talk about unbiased help and assessment versus audit and kind of help me get my head around that.
2: Sure, let's talk about unbiased first. So, uh, I I'm, I'm the one who brought that up and actually even said that unbiased is good to have an external person. So, one of the things is when you're talking with people, you want to put them in a comfort zone. Yep. Uh, I do a lot of work with workshops with 6-8 people and and they come in a little bit timid. And so, my job in that or in that workshop is to make sure it's a safe haven for people mm. and that I'm not agreeing with any statements being said. I'm there to collect information. It's uh, sometimes a challenge for me, but I need to make sure that my body language, my facial expressions, the tone of my voice, everything lends people to open up and I'm not making any judgments.
1: Nice. That safe haven is important. Sometimes what we'll have is when we're doing an assessment or when you're doing an assessment out there in the field, Someone will want to be present at all of the assessments for their organization. They're kind of there as they make sure that they don't say the wrong thing. The, <laughs> the shepherd, the police in the room with the person you're interviewing. That's not a good idea because it's biasing the information right off the
0: bat. So you have to resist that. It seems like it would. And especially if they kind of, you know, say, well, you know, I, I asked you to be here, so I'd like to observe it. and. Some people to the fact that we said people need to feel safe. Some people might not feel safe if if you know there's a senior manager member or a peer being totally transparent. And I just think you know that's really important that if you're going to create or that safe environment's important that and you want the unbiased, you have to create the safe safe environment.
2: When we find people like that who want to be part of every workshop that we do of every process assessment. That's usually the person who's looking for the number. Mm. And I want to make sure that I get people to answer positive so that I get the high number, the high score. Mm. The people who can let it go are the people who are who we want to see actually the people who are looking for areas of improvement. I understand as, as this person, I understand that we are, it is what it is today. And we're looking for opportunities. We're looking for areas that we already do a great job as well to A, reward people, and B, how do we take that to the next level too? So that might be something to think about when you want to approach being as part of every uh, assessment, every survey.
1: So let's tackle the assess versus audit. Neither, by the way, are more positive nor negative. They have different objectives with different spirits. The audit is necessary. Under some uh, governance requirements, they have to do audits, and these are conformance audits. And these have to be done. Even the activity of doing the audit is part of a controls framework for risk management. And that is to show that we, we find what we expect and when there's a gap, we close it. But it very much is a conformance and the spirit is a bit more austere. Okay, The assess is typically not about conformance. It's more about improvement. So we're gathering information With the benefit of all to understand and prioritize and direct uh, and to improve and make fit for purpose? Both have a place and both have different outcomes for different reasons. Uh, This is where, you know, you get some interesting questions. Should we use internal IT auditors to do assessments? Well, (laughs) it depends how they come across and if they can wear two hats and if they're seen
0: as having two hats. Really, that's that's a what if question. So what about you, Robin Audit?
2: Right, right. Same thing. Audit And audit, we hate to say this sometimes, but auditors are our friends. Yeah. And their purpose is to make sure that we are doing what we said we would do. Yeah. Versus the assessment is trying to find out what do we need to do to improve what we do.
0: That's important. Let's do that again. The assessment is what we need to do to improve. The audit is
2: make sure that we conform to what we said we would do.
0: So we have a tradition on the show. I mean, we could, we could literally, we should we should just do two shows on audits and assessments. Mm-hmm. But we have a tradition, Robin. It's kind of a weather report of sorts. So we like to end each show with how people, you know, something they can take away, some little nugget of truth, some little tweetable factoid. Uh, I'm going to put you on the spot because I know no one told you about this, and it's usually Troy, but would you mind helping me do a little weather report and drive your buy-in on that? Okay. All right, so it's time for Robin's Thunderbolt Tip of the Day!
2: Treat the assessment for what it should be, an opportunity, not a task that you have to put in a project plan, but something that's going to take you a lot further in understanding where you need to improve, how you can improve over time in a continual service improvement approach as well as looking at an opportunity for the buy-in, for the people part of your project and making sure that is one element to help you make sure that people are on board, being heard, and on the boat with you.
0: I love it. So I, I think that was wonderful. Think of it as an opportunity, people, and create safe zones. Yes. Create safe zones for people. Let people do their stuff and feel safe and happy. Robin, thank you so much for being on the show. It's such a pleasure.
2: Great to be here. Glad to speak with both of you.
0: All right. Troy? 51, just around the corner. Just around the corner. And then we're, we're heading right up to that pink 14. It's going to be here before we know it. We'll see everybody there. Talk to you soon. Thanks.